Good evening and welcome to the obelisk. Oh, shoot, I forgot already. I was going to do McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to the obelisk. <laughs> <laughs> Distracted. Um, yeah, well, it's this new moon energy, too. Is yeah, tell me about it. It's the mask it. energy. It's gotten. <laughs> <laughs> yes, another obelisk, another week, and we have this fantastic yeah. guest. Yes, Miguel Connor, who is a garage philosopher, hedge theologian, and general madman across the waters. His life quest is to take his audience from ancient connections to modern meaning. He's the host of the Ambite Gnostic Radio podcast and show, author of four published books, and writer of hundreds of articles on, in various publications. Welcome, Miguel. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Oh, thanks for thanks for inviting me to be here. It it is a great honor. It's you're roboting again. I wonder why the forces are doing this. Is, is it still a gear going on? It's always Archon. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I always blame it on the demons. I blame it on demons. Same difference. Demons. Well, you know, they yeah. were once good. <laughs> I actually let's start on that, Miguel. It's uh the idea of uh I I kinda wanted to I have I have an agenda with you this evening of course and uh of course it's a casual meandering but there are just certain things i definitely wanted to dive deep into and i i think i kind of wanted to start with the idea of cultural cannibalism and how we are uh and so and so this kind of winds into the idea of the need and necessity for danger to propel one forward on their journey uh, towards self-gnosis, towards uh, really towards resurrection, this internal idea of resurrection. And so where we find ourselves in this cultural cannibalism where we're basically eating ourselves in the outer world, which must have a deep significance internally for us is a culture, is a one culture, not many cultures. Interesting. Yeah, there's definitely some sinks of what you're saying, and I think I'm understanding what you're saying. Uh, I think I can speak to you talk about the danger, and I think that's where there is, should be a warning. Um, I think Jung said that sometimes we want danger or we want change because most people live in sort of the very numb, dead, deadening, normal life. And they will embrace something uh, that they think is dangerous, even bad, just so they can get out of the rut that most people are in. And uh, Jung talked about how before World War II, People were just clamoring, let's go to war, let's go to war in Europe. And he couldn't understand it. And, at, and um, then a, a friend of mine, uh, I was talking to him today and he was doing research. And he, uh, I think most people think that, for example, Hitler was going around telling people lies about this, which he was. But he was a part of his message 
was very, um, I don't want to say honest, but he, he did tell the journey, follow me, it's going to be a dangerous journey. There will be death. There will be adventure. There will be great crisis with the people. And that worked really well with the German people, which you know, kind of goes back to Jung, where sometimes if you, just, you can offer them all this danger, all this violence, uh, they'll do it just so they can get out and talk about. So I think that's, uh, that's something that's happened, well, definitely happening today. You wonder why are people out on the streets? Why are people so out of control on social media? And uh, I can certainly relate in times of my life going, God, I'm stuck. I'm in a rut. Man, I'll take anything. Just give me, just so I can have a little, something that'll awaken my soul and uh, so forth. So I can speak to that about uh, what you're talking about, the danger and culture cannibalism. At least that's my take. And what was the other part of your question? Well, the, the idea that, that it is a necessary part of a process, and especially when we look at it individually, that nothing sparks that inner light like uh, the idea of danger, of fear, and how it brings us out of entropy and into our journeys, into the idea of uh, moving out of the cave, really, right? Plato's cave and... Uh, and so as as we see it, how how the culture around us, I'm speaking of the world culture, and I'm really not talking of anything political going on. We can certainly wind in there if we want, but just how we see major movements historically come from dangerous times. A great renaissance can be born out of a out of a darkened time. And this idea to get us to to propel us forward, we need this. We need to feel unsafe and unsettled. And so when when we move from the personal to the collective, that seems very significant to me. And I think we're, you know, we're definitely seeing that. So I'm wondering where What's the crux of that, and how's that? Since we we started right in on demon, demon, and uh, when I think of the the need for danger, I also think of the gate of good, and the gateway. How this is the light is a gateway into it may be far off down the road, where we see something way far a Maya, an illusion of a bright city or, you know, whatever, a sparkly whatever that leads us forward from our apparent darkness, this sentient blackness that we seem to find ourselves in at times. Is there a question Ooh. in there? <laughs> That's pretty. Yeah, but I love it. I just kind of yeah, you're, you're your still audio, choppy. Yeah, your audio is really horrible. Is it Jasmine? Is she is she criticizing my audio or somebody else? No, that was yeah. We're talking about your audio. It's really hard to hear. Is it? Mm. It's like your network connection. I could switch microphones. It's not the mic per se. It sounds like your network uh, connection. You sound good at this moment now. 
So what what was your question? That was like so long. I I got lost in it. Oh, I, I Miguel definitely got it. Um, okay, then never mind. It's the idea of of the necessity for needing needing to be pushed forward and mm-hmm. how we do it, how it happens individually. But when we start crossing the waters into where it's going on in a, on a collective level and how this historically has created great movements and are, are we are we in this right now so the idea that the culture is eating itself the world is eating itself right now the 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 lion and the uh eagle right the lion's eating the eagle and we're trying to find a balance is this a time right now where we have just all collectively agreed how did we end up gotcha being here I'm gonna get this right, damn it. (laughs) No worries, it's totally casual. Jerry, share your dream with everyone while Miguel gets that going. You had a fantastic dream. It wasn't a dream. Well, the dream I don't remember really. It was Well, what came of it? I don't want to share that. They'll steal it. I get you. Yeah, too bad. Well, it's really good, people. It's basically it's, I had I had this dream about a like a great. All right, how do I sound now? Much better. Yes. Okay. Oh I wow. I, I think I defeated the sour time. Yeah. Oh wow, <laughs> you you overcame <clears throat> the Occoms. Yeah, yeah. I was determined as a podcaster. I know there's always <laughs> these emergencies that happen, so I get determined to fix them. So All right. podcaster within me. So, we, we did kind of jump right into the deep end. So we? wait, I'll do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Sum- like usually it starts with, uh, hey, Miguel, what is Gnosticism? <laughs> What's Barry Hagel? Who's the Demiurge? We are going. <clears throat> and uh, I can, I don't know what uh, entryway to get into what you said, but you keep talking about danger. And uh, interesting, another sink is I just finished reading Freddie Silva's The Lost Art of Resurrection. Mm. And uh, I just invited him on the show. Yeah, he's going to be a guest in a few days. And uh, he really speaks to the idea, which is very Gnostic and Hermetic. And he doesn't mention this, but it is what did uh, Socrates say was the meaning of life to die before, to die while you're still alive. And that was the task of the philosopher. And I think. that's very much the Gnostic and mystery school ideal. To be able to really live, you really have to go into the underworld. You really have to face those dark gods, your shadow, and you really have to go through the trauma of death because of some, some have said that we, we've gone through the trauma of birth and we're still just sort of trying to get comfortable in our skin. And this happens a lot. I mean, you read the, the Gnostics were certainly about that. Uh, they would talk about how the resurrection can't happen after you die, like with Jesus, well, the Orthodox Jesus. Resurrections have happens here and now. Yes. And uh, that the only way to do that is to go through that, uh, really that experience of death, that experience of ecstasy, of getting out into your mind and going into the other world 
and interacting with uh, higher beings or at least um, beings that are outside of your normative consciousness. So I was talking about how um, people will embrace violence and dictators, even if these dictators tell them this is what I'm about, or danger, death, because as humans, we really want, most humans want to break from the deadening normalcy of life, but of life, but most humans also want to belong to something bigger and want a, a greater experience than that of life. It's it's innate in us. So, but that's the bad side of it because again, that's how humans are so easily manipulated into great wars, great violence, and so forth. But it is but it goes into again our innate desire to experience something bigger and to become bigger into the flow of things. But most humans don't want to. Um, Again, they don't want to die while they're still alive. And I think that's really the only way to do it. Uh, this can be done many ways for me. It was a ayahuasca ritual, very long, that uh, took me into some horrible places I couldn't even imagine or couldn't believe existed inside of my head and other rituals that I've done. And But to others, it can be whatever you want. But most people, again, we don't want to die while we're still alive, but that's really the only way we can resurrect in this life and that's the only way we get that power to control what's going to happen in our ne next manifestations and also that power to help others become part of the flow of life i mean one thing about the mystery school religions what they were very secretive but when they walked out they always said or the experience as whatever few historians would write about i mean poffrey and some others is that they these people lost their fear of death and uh, one of the greatest uh, gifts we can have and certainly it's a theme in 2020 is fear to lose fear is one of the most beautiful things you can have and most of us fear is uh, really our trying to control not to die in the flesh i think that's one of the biggest uh, one of the fonts of fear i don't want to die and absolutely flows from it. It, it's well it creates this imbalance this instability with those that have not uh before before say the fool falls off the cliff the cliff it there's it creates this instability and the fall itself is what's important not where you land or how you land or why you land in my opinion it's actually the act of falling and for some as i've read it, and, and so on a physical level, I had, I used to be a tree climber all the time when I was little, I'd get up to the highest peaks and a couple of times I fell and very badly. And both times I, for me, the ground came up to me. It's as if I did not move. The ground came up to me on, I, I can never put this feeling sensation out of, out of me, nor do I want to. Uh, and then I've heard other people describe the act of falling from a, a good distance in different ways. And this brings to mind how our interwoven experiences collectively can be so greatly different. And yet we all fall, we all must fall. And when there's a congruence in the act of of this 
awakening spark, which to me is the fall, we start to see something bigger. And this kind of winds back into what I was talking about with cultural cannibalism, how we are eating ourselves culturally right now as a whole on the planet, not any of these individual strains. We are becoming something new. There's an ending aspect here uh, that certainly ties in with a lot of a lot of ideas written down before us in, in great tomes from the Bible on, or even before, obviously, the, the Nag Hammadi scripts, the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on. And I'm wondering where you see, so with this, we're graced with the idea that we are facing a, our deaths co collectively and this is bringing, this is part of this newness that's happening for people that are questioning what's going on and uh, ultimately questioning, will I make it? Can I survive here from any number of these events that are happening? So we've become, we've become the collective serpent why do you, how do you think we got to this point? What is the significance of this convergence right now, Miguel, that we find ourselves in this together as a whole now, rather than individually walking through the cowl of life and death? Oh, well, I'm sure most of it is just manipulation. I'd say uh, manipulation from wickedness in high places. There's a way if you can keep a population divided, if you can steal its memory of the past, if you can keep people in a state of trauma, yet still give them some, some sort of Stockholm syndrome, then it's easy to manage the chattel. And I think that's a, a big part of it. But of course, uh, as somebody that I admire, Philip K. Dick, he always talked about, yes, there are archons, but the one archon we have to look at is ourselves. So, at the end of the day, I think uh, people, because of fear, and again, I'm talking all our fear is because we want to control our life and not die, uh, we will hand over a lot of our freedom so that we won't feel this fear, but it's always there. So I think a lot of it, we have to uh, take the blame. There's a... And, also, the truth is freedom is very painful. It's uh, not easy to have responsibility. It's not easy to get through the day for any person. And there is a story in um, Eric Hoffer's great book, True Believer. If anybody gets a chance, it's like a blueprint of mind control and uh, social engineering. And he, I mean, he studied it throughout history. And... Um, he, uh, there's a story in there where you have uh, after the World War II they asked the Nazi, why did you join the party? He said, I wanted to be free from freedom. So, I mean, life is hard, but freedom is even harder. So in this combination it doesn't work well and as a culture we have lost the idea to go inward, which is the great underworld. It is the great Hades. And that's not easy, but that's where the treasure is. I mean, I can bring up Joseph Campbell, the, the idea of going down to slay the dragon is really the great motif of us going down into our unconscious and facing our shadow, our trauma, but also finding the treasures that are there because our soul always will give us the answers we want. 
so will the divine if we take that journey into the great darkness and let go, uh, let go of uh, let go of life, so we can experience that death. Uh, what does Tyler Durden say in Fight Club when he forces? the narrator to have a car accident he just says let go of the wheel and they crash and he just jumps out laughing and he says we just had a near life experience and i think that's so relevant <laughs> to line. today if we just let go of the wheel of life and take what happens we will be many people will be alive for the first time in their lives yeah absolutely it's it's uh it's a powerful thing to let go uh, and and of course it's some people struggle with that until they're ultimately really faced with it uh and then and then there's that whole idea of this this perpetual wheel of forgetfulness i i'm i'm wondering you mentioned something interesting here and the the numbness uh the idea of and, and so I'm tying this into the idea of forget forgetfulness through the through possibly many ways. One way, of course, is reincarnation, but other ways are substances. I know that you uh, have been sober for something like eight years on April 1st or something like that. April Fool's Day, biggest fool in the world. <laughs> It's a great day. My grandmother's birthday as well. And I was I was wondering at that point, at that junction in your on your journey, uh, how did how did you cross through this idea of of self numbing into self awakening? Was it a conscious thing or did you, was there, what was the internal process that was going on? Oh boy. Well, yeah, I mean, in the attic, it's rock bottom. And what's the saying in AA? How do you know you hit rock bottom? You stop digging because it can, always can get worse, believe it or not. And uh, at the depths of my addiction, death seemed like a, a step up. And I think that was, hey, Kat, and I think that was, uh, that was a turnaround. I think uh, 1999 was my really rock bottom, but that was back when I was a, a cocaine addict. And the, the darkness was so overwhelming and the pain was so overwhelming. And suddenly the realization in a way that death was a step up uh, did what we're supposed to do, which is simply reach out to the light and ask for help, something that's so mundane in the world, but there is so much help out there if we are humble and honest about it. And I think uh, with my last relapse eight years ago, I had, already, I had gone through that hell in the late 90s. Uh, my last rel relapse was a uh, surprise, uh, was on pills, uh, Ritalin and, and Adderall and some of those other good shit but uh right, i abused right the hell with you buddy i'm right there with you <laughs> yeah yeah great highs and uh and but i think um the the machine the archons made it even on a side note uh more insidious because with these drugs i was a lot more functional than i was with cocaine so i could keep up the lie longer and i think that's the whole point because if you don't have your customers are dying well, then there's not much to do. So some of these new uh, second, third generation drugs are even more 
are worse because they can keep you going longer. What do they call Ritalin? Coke light? Because <laughs> you don't get the horrible hallucinations and other side effects that I would get with cocaine. But either way, it was about me really getting help and understanding where to get help. And of course, those methods were simple. Go to, uh, go to rehab and uh, really embrace a spiritual program. I mean, that's always the solution is to uh, embrace the metaphysics in a different life of service. So uh, both ways, um, yeah, that's how I did. Again, ask for help. And it's something that uh, I still struggle with, even though I think the definition of a human being of a whole human being is to always be asking help every day, whether it's your higher self, the angels, the gods, the saints, your friends, uh, ask for help at all times, even if your life is going so well, even if you're in a place of strength, uh, ask for help. Jerry just went through an extreme experience of, of this, where he, you know, I mean, I'm not going to tell Jerry's story, but he did just go through an extreme experience of this. And it, it, I have seen profound change in him. Much, so. much more mellow. Yeah. <clears throat> but you, you had, you were confronted by it, Jerry, without, you know, it was, it was the, you basically hit a wall because you find yourself in the hospital. And so by whatever the, the turn of synchronistic events is, this is where you were and it's profound. And I was wondering how, how that could be, uh, you know, how do you feel about that at this point as we kind of want, I'd like to wind that into Miguel's experience. <clears throat> so, yeah. And like my, I was on Adderall, but I was prescribed it and I wasn't abusing it or anything, but <clears throat> I, I agree with the, how productive I was with it and how product, not productive I am now without it. But I can't really take it anymore because of my pneumonia and my heart failure. You know, and they're like, you can't take that drug anymore. Plus, my doctor left, skipped town, apparently. I don't know why. So, uh, I did not know that, Jerry. I, I didn't tell you that. No. I, I forgot. Oh my God. Yeah, while I was in the hospital, she like closed her business and skipped town. It's pretty weird. Apparently, wow. she was just a pill pusher. Oh, my goodness. But like I said, I wasn't abusing it. I was taking my prescription. I still actually have a bunch left because I was starting you know, around October, November, I was starting to take fewer than what I was prescribed because reasons. But um, the, the only, the big positive out of that is uh, the crazy, the crazy hallucinations I had <laughs> the whole time I was in the ICU. Besides that, I've really lost my fear of death. So that's a big plus for me. You're alive. Yeah. yeah, it was, uh, yeah, Adderall, I have used it. We're talking, I would crush it and just snort that shit. And, uh, I never yeah, tried I that. Oh, great hallucinations, but pure horror and despair once it takes over. And for me, it was a prescribed one for ADD. But after all this time, eight years of uh, exploration, I realized I never had ADD. I don't even know if it exists. I, I can't uh, speak right. to it. But uh, I, my thing is I have really, really severe bipolarism, manic depression. And no matter what, it doesn't matter if I go to psychiatrist, doctor, blah, blah, blah. They're like, nope, 
bipolar, manic depression, really bad. And uh, obviously I have found ways to uh, not just manage it, but completely thrive with it, to, to ride that disease, if you would, make it work for me and get all parts of my mind to work together to really get it down. But I realized years ago that uh, I am what I call, a, a, I do fast transitions. In other words, I can go from the depths to the heights. I can go from heaven down into hell and up into heaven. I can be an angel and devil so fast that uh, what happens is memory loss and lack of focus. So that my life was always just lack of focus, memory loss, even when I was in my sober periods. But now understanding that I am a rapid transitioner, now I understand because now I can just follow the, the wave of ups and downs. And in between, I can find exactly the sort of, uh, create the sort of center point where I am me and watch these ups and downs. And so don't need uh, that stuff anymore and uh, don't lose my memory and I can focus very well these days or much better, but uh, to each his own. But uh, this is a journey I had to take inward. I had to take without meds, without any forms of uh, mind altering drugs or anything, just completely holistic and really going on a voyage of self-knowledge. I had to take, uh, well, it's a very Jungian approach to it. As uh, some, as uh, my friend Gordon White likes to say, if you have a dialogue with your psyche, the psyche will smile at you. And the psyche, all that is not my ego is the rest of the iceberg. My ego is only 1%. And there is 99% of my mind that is doing so much, that is giving me messages that needs certain attention and needs me to look at certain things in the unconscious. But once I start doing that, my life gets much, much better. And my life has gotten much better. Is there, is there a, um, I'm, I'm wondering about the idea of ecstasis or uh, the idea of, how you know we can find ecstasy and i'm looking at that from the idea of or the overlay of uh deeper layers of of consciousness pushing into the idea of ecstasis of ecstasy the ecstatic experience were do you think somehow taking those kinds of things, chasing those kinds of things, was stimulating this idea or this feeling internally for you? Was there any consciousness around that? Was it just, or was it just something internally that was? Uh, hmm. That's another good question. I, I mean, I think as Jason Liu said something purely amazing on Twitter when he gets going with his stream of consciousness, but he said the great choice in this century will be choosing between entertainment and ecstasy. And unfortunately, most of culture is in the whole entertainment, just uh, self, uh, yeah, purely selfish, uh, ego expanding, sort of uh, quick fix kind of experiences. But at the end of the day, I think, uh, for those who want ecstasy, which uh, of course kind of uh, gets misrepresented today, we take it as something that's either connected to drugs or sex or something like that. But ecstasy is really from the Greek to get out of our mind. And to get out of our mind means 
in the original sense to get out of our ego into the great experience of who we are, the totality of not only who we are, but uh, the realization of what the world is. Uh, I think the Greeks called in the mystery religion the autopsy, and that's where we get the world out autopsy but it just simply means to see things with your own eyes and this of course means to experience the divinity the spiritual world around you and the gnostics one thing that they were is they were very shamanistic so ecstasy was a central point to all of their rituals now here's the difference too is uh as the scholar april deconic said when they were doing ecstasy, it was not, uh, to reach his ecstatic states was not simply spontaneous, but cultivated through crafted ritual. In other words, it was done through a hierophant, a teacher, and a sangha, a group. So this was not about going on your own. I think that's the great, uh, that's what I tell people. I say, look, if you want expanded consciousness with entheogens or whatever rocks your boat, but you need a shaman, you need a teacher, you need a community to hold you up and for you to hold others up when they go through ecstasy because at the end of the day, uh, becoming God is very dangerous. So I think in my life, yes, there was probably my soul telling me you need to get out of your mind. Unfortunately, I would try to do it with by myself, completely ego-driven, self-centered. I don't need anybody. I'm just going to get really high and I'm going to see God, blah, blah, blah. And Never worked out, but there was those times when, uh, you know, there was, it could be very communal. I'll sit around with a group of guys smoking a joint or with a whole bunch of friends doing acid. And somehow we were in a very mundane way recreating a mystery religion or a Gnostic ritual or a, a shamanistic experience. But when that happened, we were unified and we did have some wonderful uh, experience, sometimes group hallucinations. So... I think that's it. And again, I can't stress enough. Uh, you have two choices, ecstasy or entertainment. So whatever you're doing in life, ask yourself which one and, and go for the ecstasy. And ecstasy can be anything. I mean, I know people painting, knitting, uh, walking their dogs. They suddenly can go into an altered state of consciousness and leave their minds. It can be whatever it is for you. Yeah, I, I certainly love, I, I love this. I come from this idea. It, and I, I, it's almost interchangeable with the idea of the muse for me with my artistic endeavors, uh, where I find myself in that state where I've, step, where I've stepped aside and, and allow this to move within me and to move through me and around me and to be in it uh, without the niche involved. Uh, and so it, it is, it's all, you know, I always struggle for words when, when I'm going through it. Sometimes I like to use our common, uh, the vernacular of the day with like downloads, you, you know, you get, you're deep in a meditation, but you're having an ecstatic experience and you get, you become open and all of a sudden this just wash of an amazing energy moves through and around you and almost commandeers one. It can, I think it can commandeer one and sweep them away. I've often wondered about those with, say, you know, psycho disorders, like uh, schizophrenia and all that, 
if they have you know, like Alice through the looking glass where and yet they're unable somehow to come back through and and find well seated a seated throne within the nowness of which we all seem to have to deal with i'm wondering what your thoughts are on on that idea of these i hate to use the word but disorders that the the common that we find ourselves around so those with say schizophrenia or deep paranoia <clears throat> is there something connected there the way you view it um I'm with the idea of ecstasy, ecstasis, and that kind yeah, of deep I mean, spiritual. I think, sometimes I think there's really nothing wrong with all of any of us. And uh, was it a Union scholar said, we must start normalizing pathology or depathologize what the mind is. Because, again, if I mean, even going back to the Hermetics and the Neoplatonists, the mind is a very powerful, insanely powerful, I wouldn't say machine, but force. I mean, for example, you have cases where somebody with a split personality will, in one personality, will have a, a severe reaction, allergic reaction to peanut butter or something. But as soon as they, as soon as they switch personalities, they eat that peanut butter and nothing. It's, it's, and there's many, many cases of this. What does that tell us? That tells us that the mind is, uh, it's an incredibly powerful thing, but it's also an incredibly tricky thing. That's why I've sort of adopted Hermes, the god of the mind, because he is the logos, but he is also the trickster, and that's the mind. So again, going back to the imagery of the iceberg, uh, we only experience very little of our mind. What's that old trope? We only use 50% of our, whatever it is. But I think there's truth to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and drink eight glasses of water a day. Yeah, these tropes that sort of come into uh, come into the, the vernacular. But I think once we have that dialogue with the psyche, we, we will have these answers. And yes, of course, some people do go through trauma. They go through horrible things. They might have an imbalance because of diet or something like that, and they might need some help, and that's great and all. But for the rest of us, I mean, when we realize that our psyche is here for us to individuate, to experience the world, what's the old saying? The mind is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. They're not joking. And even in ancient times, somebody who we would call schizophrenic would be considered a boon to the tribe. He would be honored and might be even put as a shaman because this person obviously is uh, has the doorways to perception are opening and he can see into the spiritual world. But of course, there are always dangers with that. As uh, if you've read the word of the work of Jerry Marcinski and some others, uh, the idea of schizophrenia and others might just be invading spirits that have come into our heads. And it's a good idea to perhaps treat them as a possession and to use some sort of exorcism. But again, I think uh, we have forgotten, especially since the behaviorists took over psychology in the 20th century and got away from the idea of the mind and the power of the mind, we've forgotten this, but I think all the answers are there with our psyche, just like all the answers are there 
if you uh, invoke the gods and all that, it's just a matter of learning how to listen. Yeah, the, uh, for me, the most powerful thing that ever happened in my life, which has been, I mean, I think we all, hopefully we all think this about ourselves, but I feel like I've had an extraordinary life, uh, it was a loss of uh, grip on the idea of what, what is reality. And I had the snap at the age of 17 and just went on a journey. <laughs> Oh, it ended with me under second. a bed. Uh, yeah, somebody in your chat was saying, go to prison and meet the real schizos. But if you read the work of David Marcinski, he was a prison psychologist and he treated uh, murderers and rapists and, you know, the, the, the lowest of the lowest. And he found out that using spiritual tactics and approaching it as a possession really helped and he actually had a great success curing a lot of uh, these inmates and giving them a better life anyway i just had to interject and put that in there oh yeah well i mean this is when freud and both freud and jung and i'm i come from i i love the jungian overlay uh were learning to navigate these waters with the talking therapies and all, all this stuff that was rather messy. Uh, that, that idea is just, you know, that there was more here. There's something powerful happening here. There's something bigger happening and we should try to access it. And, and then, and then if possible, express it. Uh, so, but with that said, I was wondering, so with all this kind of as a foundation, could you give us an idea? And this is kind of where I think Jerry was going to jump in with the idea of explaining Gnosis. Could you give us an idea of the construct in which we find ourselves in collectively as you see it? I don't understand. What do you mean by construct? The reality around us, that which we've created that is a democratic reality, that you are on that end, I'm over here, and we're speaking to each other from afar, that there are streets and we drive cars on the streets, that we're in houses, uh, you know, this, this whole construct, the matrix, if you will. Well, I can say from uh, my perspective is that it is not a false reality, but it is a faked reality. It is a construct created by uh, other forms of uh, consciousness to keep us trapped, to keep us asleep here as uh, Morpheus tells Neo in the Matrix. So, and of course, there, there's definitely always going to be a consensus insanity with all of us believing the same thing and seeing the same thing. But uh, yeah, I see us trapped here in this, uh, in this fake reality. And it's a question of how do we want to... Uh, wake up and how do we want to uh, take the trek home which includes taking the trek to hell yeah the trek to hell is very one this is this is what i was talking about the need for danger that that this is a necessary part of the process especially if we you know we can tie this into a lot of things alchemy is a great way as well but it's it's in all of our tomes it's in our mythos all the mythos uh and 
and there's also this idea of say perception which we hold depending on where you are you know it's almost it's an individual jewel perception it's something something glittery and sparkly that we each possess because we're standing at a different point in 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 this and so i had heard you speak of uh, you didn't call it this, this these are my words but the the idea of the gate of the good and uh i i use gate a lot i like the symbology of it it, it it's a it you know, you're moving from one place to another and you're honoring that idea. And so that's where I was wondering with this construct, the matrix around us and this awakening through the idea of danger uh, and then how we tend to numb ourselves, even unconsciously, not knowing that we're numbing ourselves when we are confronted with the uncomfortable with with shadow content or disembodied aspects of our own psyche you know when your thinking function is confronted by your feeling function and uh you know this can be a disincarnate experience through a projection in the outer world onto someone like your spouse even or someone you're in close contact with so and one of the things that is interesting to me in this time, and so I I just don't care about the narratives, the individual ideas of these narratives of a virus, of this person, this group fighting that person. I'm interested in the bigger idea of it and how we are collectively, as I said earlier, uh, at a space. So we're collectively with this perception idea, our little sparkly jewel, our little sparkly sentience coming into a big major change that really is, you know, the Christians are all on the revelations right now and, and the, the Kali Yuga movement. And how is it, where is this gateway that is not so dark? How is it that we can find a light? And through Gnostic teachings, through Gnostic ideas, how do you see that happening for us collectively, Miguel? Where, where is the light? Where is the hermit's light? How, do, how does the hermit ignite the light? Yeah, I mean, collectively, I don't have any good news, but uh, I do, what do I say on my show? This is may not be the best time to be alive, but it's the best time to be awake. And even there's a past guest, James True, who always says this is the greatest apocalypse ever. If you open your eyes, you really can see humanity, our rulers, uh, the spiritual world is completely opening and exposing themselves like never before but at the end of the day they it's it, the rules haven't changed whether it's the late 60s World war ii uh, the invasion of the mongols it's still a journey inward where's the light the light has always been shining within us we tend to forget how much potential we have i'm talking about the power of the mind we forget about the power of our soul the power of our imagination we just buy into these really bad, unoriginal stories that the archons have given us. 
and they're not even they're not imaginative they're sort of repetitious I mean, you can see these same stories being recycled through 2020 and you look back and these stories are the same shit that they've been doing for thousands of years but the power is within us we have to look in and again it's not easy because as you were saying we do have to face our shadow and the best part of our shadow i was thinking and even the best part of hell is that yes there's demons there but there's also treasure um jung basically said that our shadow is everything i do not want to be but that doesn't mean our just our dark fantasies or uh, whatever really sick speculations we had or secrets that happened to us, but it's also the things that we are meant to face. I mean, I'm sure, for example, you can look into your childhood and, or a ch let's think of a child and this child had a passion for drawing or had a talent for piano or was thinking about uh, being the greatest soccer player or something like that. And that got suppressed because of life, because of the constructs of society that sort of uh, remove our individuality and our passion. And um, the shadow is telling us too, you need to face that part of you that you've lost. And that could be a heroic part. And if you don't face it, that's when the numbness come, that's when the, the, the mental issues come, and that's even when the health issues come. As I say, the, the body doesn't lie, so uh, a lot of uh, our physical ailments are because we are not addressing the, so what the psyche is trying to tell us, the energy and the message of the psyche. So the game is still the same. The game is still Orpheus going on into the underworld. It is Jesus going down into hell and releasing the saints. It is still that Gnostic quest of going uh, across the spheres of time and space and having to face these archons and eventually uh, be embraced by these higher angels. Nothing has changed. But uh, again, I think it, maybe it's a mixture that the, the, the narratives of the construct have just gotten worse or we have just become uh, more desperate. I don't know because things are so bad, but because we really have been taught that we really want entertainment. Do you see, I mean, I think, I think you must, and uh, how, how the outer world is reflective of, of the inner world and, or, you know, whichever way one needs to view yeah, that. As above, so below, said uh, Hermes Trismegidus. Absolutely. Speaking through Apollonius of Tyan. You're so learned. It just is always uh, humbling. Uh, to listen to you. Uh, so with that idea, though, the collect with the outer stuff going on, is this, this is a collective movement. And so is it, is it, do we become critical of, of the outer world without seeing that this somehow we're participating in it, whether we are Where's the connection here? And well, you're always going to be projecting if you criticize the outer world. I mean, yes, it doesn't matter if it's somebody on social media. You were talking about your spouse, uh, the the nature of the world. The best thing to do is uh, try to understand why are you projecting? What is within you that is so disturbing? And what do you need to work on? Because again, your soul, your psyche, the gods, whatever you want to call it, uh, 
whatever mythology or culture is always feeding you answers and wants to address things because at the end of the day, it wants you to be divine. It wants you to be individuated and it wants you to be useful. There was, a, I remember a Buddhist priest telling me, asking, well, what is enlightenment? He said, oh, it's being useful. And it was like the biggest uh, <laughs> light bulb in my head. I said, wow, yes. I mean, my dog is perfectly in the flow of life. My dog, she is individuated. She does what's useful for her species, for the pack. And she's never in a state of uh, sort of imbalance. And I realize as humans, when we can be completely useful in the smallest and the biggest ways, in the ways to be useful to nature, to our fellow person to the universe, we really will expand our consciousness and go into some amazing places. Um, so I think I'm getting here off in a tangent. And I should say too, when you say as above, so below, you have to embrace the hermetic idea that we are in the universe, but the universe is also in us, the macrocosm and microcosm of the hermetics and the Gnostics. That we, I know it's subtle, but uh, everything's inside of us and we are inside of everything. And uh, somehow we can make a connection and connect all these dots. We become one with the universe, even if we probably will never be part of the human universe. I think humans are the big exception. But as Gary Lachman said, we can be the caretakers of the cosmos. Mm. It, it does remind me of that whole Nietzschean thing too, of the, you know, the dark, the darkness looks back. Uh, it, which also I wanted to get at. I, I often see that as a state of sentience uh, the darkness itself, the void, and the idea of, you know, you look to it, it looks back at you. Uh, this is, of course, easily uh, identified as into the union idea of the shadow, right? It, it, the shadow is you. It's, it is your darkness. Therefore, it is, of course, looking back at you and playing yeah. with you. But not your, it can't, again, it can be your darkness, but it can be your light too. It's everything I do not want to be, everything I don't want to address. And again, it could be a great talent or dream that you had as a child or a promise you made a, a, a girl 20 years ago and you suppressed it and you're not dealing with it. It's sort of rotting inside of you. So it, it's your, your subconscious casts a shadow out into the world and that shadow, yeah, you will project it out into the world. And at the same time, it will make you very uncomfortable. It's a, it's a call from the deep or the call from the beyond. Mm. As much as it is you having to face things that you just haven't faced. And some may be good, some may be bad, and some require you to take action and become the person you were meant to be, that you were put into this world. Again, the mind, your destiny has great plans for you, but our egos get in the way. Yes. Where do you see this, um, with all this, the idea of freedom on, on an esoteric or maybe esoteric even, you know, they're both tied in. The idea of freedom in its greater Gnostic sense. I think, uh, again, I keep, going, I keep going to Jung, I think what you said, uh, Free will is doing exactly what you were supposed to do. And uh, I know it's kind of uh, confusing, but we were put here for a sacred mission, a grand destiny. I think part of it is finding out what our, our 
authentic self is. And the other part is finding out what our authentic self was meant to be. Jung also said, uh, when we are not conscious, we think uh, we are trapped under, uh, we are trapped under the bonds of fate, but no, we're just not listening to what our destiny was meant to be. So, uh, and we try to think, well, my destiny is whatever I want to be. And unfortunately, or fortunately, that is not true. There are powers of light moving and we all have a role to play. And uh, we think we get to decide what role that is, but unfortunately that plays right into the archons of this world who want our ego to drive things, who want our animalistic self to drive things, who ultimately want entertainment so they can control us instead of that ecstasy. So uh, I know it sounds kind of paradoxical, but once you realize why you were meant to be here, uh, it's, it's, it's a liberating feeling because you are with the flow of the energies of the cosmos. And uh, what did Jung say? Uh, as far as I can discern, the purpose of existence is to kindle a light of meaning in the darkness of mere being. Most of us are just in the darkness of mere being. I think I'm a little bit better these days. I think I've found this podcast and other things that have awakened things with me and the rituals that I take in my daily life. But uh, I'm, I still got a long way to go, guys. <laughs> no, I'm only a few, uh, a little. I think I got a long way to go. I think we all do. <clears throat> yeah, but it's nice to have that, to be able to taste that freedom. Absolutely. So in regards to archons, this is a less philosophical, more physical. What do you have any thoughts on them being, how can I say what I want to say? Do you, do you think the archons are part of our psyche or something external? No, well, my answer would be yes. I know once you, try to simplify things you play right into the archons it's a uh, it's very nuanced as i tell people if you want simple answers and and you're going to end up living a simple life that's not the way it is i think it's both i was talking about as above so below as inside outside macrocosm and microcosm how the universe is within us and we're outside so I think it's both. The archons are in both places, even in the Gnostic text. You had the different archons who control the planetary spheres, uh, the archons who control different parts of the universe, different nations, but you also had archons that controlled every part of your body that were assigned to your body to not only create it, but also to create fate, to trap you in fate. Um, what did the uh, this Gnostic scholar, well, this biblical scholar, Stephen Davis said as uh, uh, the material world traps our bodies, but fate traps our will. And so I think these interior archons uh, are definitely present. And as uh, I think I mentioned Philip K. Dick earlier in the interview, he did say there are two archons and that's us and the archons that are outside and both are just as real. Obviously, Philip K. Dick said, some people are more archonic than others, but all of us are there. I even talked about how most of us, we've, uh, for some safety to not have fear, we've given away our freedom. By giving away our freedom, we've given away our sacred duty 
our heroic duty, our hero's journey. And that's something we have to get back. Yeah, I think I was married to one of those. <laughs> so yeah, most people say mother-in-law, but that's a good one. Yeah, that's that too. It was a whole family of them. <laughs> that um, one what uh, what are your thoughts on the anthropomorphization of archons as aliens, or I don't want to say you know like five D controllers, whatever the narrative is, and the whole. You know, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I mean, again, as I say, there is an other out there. In ancient times, we call them gods or angels or spirits. Maybe they are the aliens. I think we need to, um, obviously, in our world, we sort of uh, sell, not about sell them, we, there's a reductionistic view of these aliens. Okay, yeah. if these beings are astral beings, they're not going to have, like, fire coming out of their spaceship or something like right right you know, lasers not... yeah we were talking uh, they would have the powers of the god as arthur c clark said where advanced technology the same as magic exactly they be they would be interdimensional they would be beyond time and space so in a way they are gods and they would be pretty much anywhere they want to be is uh, jeff kripal uh, whitley streber who said uh, that's where we make the mistake is uh, we think the aliens are embedded with us. No, we're embedded with them. They're the ones running the show, just as the gods, you know, uh, ran the show. And that's going back to the psyche. There was a, a Jungian analyst who said, no, 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 you don't access your psyche. The psyche access you. <laughs> the, you know, it's like you don't, I'm sure nothing wrong with going supplicating to gods when you're in enough pain because it means you are at a crossroads. But for the most part, as I keep saying, it's about you just listening so that you can get, as, uh, as you were saying, the download from higher worlds to tell you what your sacred duty is. I thought Streber's pretty much gone. Well, the last few, few things that I've heard from him, he seemed to have associated the quote-unquote other with dead spirits or de the dead. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's never put, he's never actually said officially they are aliens or they are spirits. True, this, true, this, true. this otherness, this uh, different forms of consciousness that manifests with uh, various imagery, which are dependent on his past, but he's never actually committed one way or another. And I think that's a very smart move. Yeah. Because he doesn't know and nobody knows. <clears throat> yeah. We're, we got monkey brain. We're monkeys. We're going to know. <laughs> Monkeys. If I go outside and try to explain to the frog that's out here about, uh, you know, how great Breaking Bad is, I don't think that this poor frog's going to understand. <laughs> or care. Yeah, yeah, he's got better <laughs> things to do. <laughs> so, so follow-up question to that. Uh, if, if these, this other aliens, whatever, archons, do you think that they are part of our collective consciousness or collective unconscious whatever young called it uh I or think they want to trap it I or think they, they are uh, yeah. yeah mechanical lifeless uh wasted shards of reality that want what we have because the clip -off. we have something so yeah exactly the clip off because we have something that we have spirit and they are soul so they want what we have and they want to feed us feed from it and they want to keep us down and that's definitely a very gnostic take i think uh i would i would just act that this is very 
take them very seriously and, and take seriously their ontological reality. It's like uh, when uh, I was mentioning uh, Jerry Marcinski and I had uh, Dr. David Schoen, who's also a, uh, he's a Jungian therapist and he's also worked with addicts and criminals in prisons. And he was like, look, I'm not gonna tell you that this spirit world is real, but when I act like it is, when I take things like, uh, yeah, spirituality, meditation, uh, it works on patients. And that's Jerry Marsiski would say he would get them to read certain passages from the Bible, like Psalms 23, and, and these patients could get better. Now, are these mind parasites or archons real? Well, I think we're not ready yet, but it's, it's good to know that we take them seriously and we use the right tools to fight them. All right. Someone asked in chat if you could explain the difference between soul and spirit. Oh, yes. think That's why I was just going. <laughs> well, the soul is, yeah, the soul, as you might say, is it's a temporal thing. It's who I am. You could say it's our mind. It's all the temporalities of the mind. The spirit is what is eternal within me that flows within me. I think, what was the analogy somebody said? The soul might be the television and the spirit is actually the, the, the electricity or the, the, the Wi-Fi coming and giving it true life. And the soul is, uh, I mean, well, it's a matter of debate. I mean, some have said the soul is not permanent and we must acquire a spirit or we will fade away. And that's certainly Gurdjieff believed that. He said immortality has to be earned. I'm here, but if I don't earn immortality, I don't get to go to the next stage of my evolution. So, um, yeah, so I think that would be the difference. So that's something the ancients certainly believed in. Again, the exact mechanics, what is the soul permanent and so forth. We didn't know, do you, does the soul need the spirit? Uh, there was many debate, debates. I mean, we could say the spirit is yeah, definitely our consciousness. Our soul would be this sort of a temporal personality and identity that I have right now where the consciousness is sort of moving through. Since, and also, yeah, somebody mentioned yeah, the, the Egyptians, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, the Egyptians had like four levels. I mean, the Egyptians were they were on a level of their own. That ka, the vine, and the two other characteristics, and it was very complicated. <laughs> so, would you go further into that, Miguel? Into what? Into the ka and the ba and the Egyptian uh, mythos around that. Ah, uh, God, that would be. I mean, it's sort of out of the loop. I mean. Uh, Okay, uh, again, as I was talking about the lost art of resurrection, and I was reading some other works on Egypt, the Egyptian consciousness was a lot different. It's almost alien, but people mistake the idea that the Egyptians were obsessed with death, but what they were was obsessed with eternity. That's what mattered to them. And the material world was really just a runway into the eternal. And these two realms were connected, but again, the material was just sort of a quick runway 
where we can go into these other higher worlds. In a way, they, they were very Gnostic. And in a way, they were, I mean, something about religious, uh, Egyptian religiosity, that it was very personal. Uh, that's something you don't find anywhere. In other words, every individual mattered and every individual had a journey. Yes, the pharaohs got the nice big uh, pyramids, but everybody had um, had some sort of funeral or ceremony to go into the, uh, again, the, the higher worlds, the Anduat or whatever they called it. So, and the Hermetics and the Gnostics definitely are the inheritors of this uh, religiosity. And by personal too, it, I mean, they took it even further because in the Hermetic dispensations and the Gnostic, Christian Gnostic one, you had to also, you mattered, but what you, your relationship and experiences matter. There's rituals where a group would just sit around and talk about their personal problem. This is 2,000 years ago. Or an individual would talk about their visions and what their visions when they were doing the rituals and altered state of mind was very important. It wasn't just the, the hierophant who had all the answers. And so that's what's very interesting about the Egyptian, uh, again, uh, tradition that the Gnostics and the Hermetics took. And uh, it was amazing how they saw the universe. And I, I would be, I think I'd be blown away or I would like to expire. Uh, aspire to be able to see the world where my thrust is eternity. How do I get back into eternity? What am I going to do in this world to go into eternal so that I can recognize that I myself and am eternal, that I matter, and then my humanity matters. That's what's my individuality, my temporal little one-time, hopefully 75-year miracle matters and is part of the flow of existence so uh, i love that shit <laughs> mm, that was beautiful it, i speak of immortality a lot it's a big idea for me it has been my entire life and i just yeah you gave me some chills there uh, it, with this though and it, it's completely intertwined in all this this idea of uh you know well jung said jung thought everyone had a soul as opposed to a lot of other people that are, you know, with the NPC thing or Dolores Cannon's filler, all right. that idea. Uh, you know, Jung thought everyone had a soul. But this yeah, but is most people, I think you know, that's the thing. He's, he thought, and he used it a little differently than the ancients, but everybody had a soul, but most people didn't know they had a soul. Right. And he thought his main <laughs> threat, his own sacred duty, what he came to this universe to do, was in essence to teach people that they had souls, that they had a complete psyche that was incredible, that was the image of God. And he was a little disillusioned because most people, he left this great teachings and he thought the idea of us knowing we had a soul was what he thought was true gnosis. Mm -hmm. That was basically his definition of gnosis. But uh, unfortunately, he, I think he was a bit disappointed at the end. Oh, yeah, that 80th birthday party, we, uh, <laughs> that was legendary. But with this idea, you know, it, it's, uh, it's these dualities. So our parent dualities, the idea of spirit and soul. I am always confronted back into this Jungian idea, again, of in the, the pillars of intent and fate. 
and how somehow we weave ourselves, our intent around that which appears to be fateful or or an impasse or immovable, that which is solid, seemingly. How how instructive is is that idea to us here and now, individually and collectively, moving through all of this stuff that's going on? Mm, not sure I'm following you. I mean, I can't. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm following what you're saying. I mean, I keep saying you. We have to go inward. We have to stop projecting. And we have to attack the fear so we can have a near-life experience. I'm going back to Tyler Durden. And, uh, we have to as I said, lose our mind so we can come to our senses. We have to go for that ecstasy. But unfortunately, I think um, spirituality has been drained. And uh, that's why we, we're seeing some pseudo-religions coming. I don't want to say pseudo. They're probably real religions for all I know. I don't want to disparage anything that's going out there. But uh, people, and again, people have become so uh, unaware of their souls. And we're talking about uh, the deadening normalcy, which is when you don't know you have a soul, that they are out doing crazy shit and saying horrible things on the Internet and uh, these are the times and just buying any sort of propaganda that it's out there, the contradictions from all the media, from all the governments. It's, uh, it, again, it's a, it's a crazy thing to see. It's, uh, yeah, the greatest apocalypse ever. Well, I, I think. Hey, more... keep it down. <laughs> oh. Good Lord. Good uh, Lord. Where, oh my. Uh, where, so my idea was the idea of choice. When, when I'm looking at intent and, face, and fate and uh, where down to the simplest things of what am I going to eat for dinner or right. am I choosing this day to get up and exercise, you know, the di- or am I choosing to, to take a pill, you know, whatever. The idea of choice and where that comes in with uh the stuff that seems big that okay so today for example say today i i've decided i'm going to exercise today the day yesterday i'm going to exercise today and i get up and stuff starts happening and the day rolls on and eventually i don't exercise where what is that spark? What is that, you know, where's that intent? And, and so through the day, I don't, I'm not, I'm not very coherent tonight, apparently. Uh, so through no, the I day. No, I can relate what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> in, sorry, I switched microphones. because That was actually a, sounds way This one sounds now. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just, um, yeah. Well, now that I've switched microphones and it's better suited to drown out. Yeah, as a podcaster, I have 20 different weapons and this doesn't work. I'm going to use this. If this happens here, I'm going to use that. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think I appreciate what you guys do because I know the challenge is people. A two hour show, I know there's a lot of work. It drains a lot of energy and a million things can happen. There is no perfect way. So, um, but uh, yeah, interesting about the exercise because I know this is anecdotal, but once the whole coronavirus came in April, I, I was sort of very temporarily swept away with the fear and anxiety. And then I did a lot of inner work and I let it go. 
but for some reason I gained weight and I couldn't understand why I was gaining weight. And um, I thought I was exercising summer. It's beautiful. You know how it is in Illinois at this time of the year. It's just gorgeous. Um, I had to deal with Hermes, which is my mind and realize my mind is uh, he's the great trickster and wants its own pound of flesh or it wants to play a game. So once I, I told myself, all right, uh, I don't care about losing weight. I want more energy. I am doing this because I want more energy. Suddenly it became very easy to exercise. And a, a weird thing is that the universe started working not so much against me and the excuses started running dry. But again, if I could just trick my mind because my mind is always tricking me because that's what Hermes is. That's how I've won the game. And uh, yes, I have lost weight, but the best part is I don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> I think that's the, how you win the game. You just don't care. You're detached. That's that letting go again. That's that idea of letting go for me when I hear that. And for me, that is, and it's, and in, in magical workings, that's a big idea. You throw your intent, you know, you, you close your circle, the eye from the collective, and uh, you get in there in the in the vessel, and you get all the work done. You bring all the ingredients in, you close it, you put the heat on it, and then you walk away. And if there's not a crack, or you know if it's sealed properly, something magical starts happening. Sounds but a lot part, like alchemy. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Very much. But part of the process is actually letting go and and letting it and not obsessing over the the intent that you had uh, and and almost forgetting and in the forgetting you're freeing yourself. Yes, that is true. I think what the Gurdjieff saw, was it the the Gurdjieff called it the uh, act of self forgetting mm. when you forget. Well, you're forgetting your ego, the construct that you are at the end of the day. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis, Lewis recently, which I really liked. He said, uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is just less of you. And that made perfect sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because when there is less of your ego, the the unconscious, the spiritual energies, whatever you call them, do tend to flow better. Indeed. And, and even so on the ego, how much, of course we need it. It's, it's, it's how we navigate, you know, we navigate the world through when it's in, when it's functioning properly, it's a beautiful thing. And so where I encounter, you know, we all encounter ego inflation or underinflated egos and the Eeyores, you know, uh, what, where do you see the balance of the ego in perfect harmony within the whole system? And this is an internal idea through the lens of gnosis. Yeah, that, well, that's, I think, one of the biggest tricks that I fell for. And it is one of my critiques of AA and some of the new age, modern spirituality, is the idea that we have to be egoless or have a weak ego, because uh, when I said there has to be less of us for the energy flows, it doesn't mean that what we are should be strong. 
I think uh, Jung certainly would have believed that the ego needs to be strong. Why? Because when the shadow comes out, when things like a, a complex rises, we have to have a strong ego to be able to take the psychic forces that are going to hit us or else we will fold. So um, in the Gnostic myths, you obviously had the great myth of the, the Demiurge, uh, the sort of daughter, or the, I'm sorry, the, the offspring or son of the goddess Sophia who uh, comes out of her and then looks at the world, takes her power and decides he's going to control the universe. And he, con he completely ignores the idea that Sophia, who's a much more powerful, is above, or that there's a, this choir of aeons who rule the heavenly realms. And he forgets or he just doesn't care. And he does that quote from Isaiah, there is no, I am a jealous God, there is no God but me. And he ends up just running this horrible universe. <laughs> he just botches things up and basically gives us this material world where people die and everything that needs to survive has to eat some some other form of a life. And uh, yeah, the, 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 circle, the circle of death and rebirth. But I think the demiurge of the Gnostics doesn't represent the ego. It represents the warped, unbalanced ego. I think as, as many... Jungians have said the ego is simply, uh, you think of the the unconscious or our entire psyche is just this giant form of energy out in, let's say you're out in the field. If you shine a light to see where you're going on the path, the ego is that light or what the light can see. The ego is the part of us that can interact with the material world and navigate the material world. So it is a good thing. It is a necessary thing. Obviously, there's more. There's the unconscious. There's the shadows. There's uh, the complexes. There's a lot. There's, a, there's the anima and anima still. But the ego is what, again, navigates the material world and defines and discovers the material world is, is our em the emissary of our soul in the material world. So it shouldn't be weak. It certainly shouldn't be warped or imbalanced. So we have to work to have a healthy, strong ego that is confident, that is uh, aware, and again, that is has a solid foundation. Yeah, I I'm with you on that. And it's often when I when I ponder the idea of what immortality is to me and it's a very important idea for me uh i i often there's there's a lot of emotional content that's tied into the idea of of the ego obviously with immortality and well not obviously but with my ponderings of the idea of immortality uh i want to remember i want to remember everything and i the idea of not remembering or being wiped or you know through the the rungs of reincarnation uh seems seems tragic to me and so the idea of a well-balanced ego seems to me that it could push one further into those halls of whatever immortality really is when we break through this construct or matrix that is a perpetual almost like grinding mill you know it's like the mill that samson found himself on right. and so wondering how 
how do you see the idea of immortality without reincarnation? Yeah, I mean, yeah, interesting points you bring up. I mean, would could we say that the ego's job is to understand the metaphysical or immortality? If it's what defines the material world, that light that shines and uh, again interacts with the material world, would it that be its job? It seems immortality is more uh, something you can't know. It's more of an experience to have with other parts of your soul. So I think in a, as far as the reincarnation, I'm pretty agnostic about reincarnation. I've read about it uh, and I've read all the different theories. I like the Kabbalists, some of the Kabbalist interpretations where we don't reincarnate in a linear fashion. We reincarnate back and forth in time because our spirit obviously is beyond time and space. And our, the sparks that we are, the divine sparks can actually split up and go into different beings. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we can be more than one person in a different world or in a different points of uh, history. And these sparks somehow have to meet somewhere, again, with some uh, grand drama, not grand drama, but grand mission, holy mission. So, but yeah, outside of that, I'm pretty um, agnostic. I have never had past life experiences. Although when I do the hypnagogue state, I see a lot of weird shit these days, but I don't see anything like from the past. So maybe I'm not the right person to ask because... Nothing has been downloaded on that to me yet. And it's just a ponder. It's a, it's this whole idea of, uh, you know, I, I, we've talked to people that have pre-birth memories and I don't have that. Whereas I do have extremely early memories. I was able to confirm with my mother and everyone knows that, you know, like I was in a house before until I was six months old and I was able to describe that. That's how I know the memories are in that period. Uh, but I don't know where I come from. And I think, you know, and I've always just been very honest about that. And it intrigues me when I encounter people that have a sense of conviction in the idea of pre-birth memories and, and, and Akashic records and all this stuff. And sometimes I, I find myself wondering how, how do I get to that? I can remote view I can lucid dream. I can I can do these other things, but yeah, I still wow. don't know where I come from. Yeah, but you got do you know great, what I'm saying? Yeah, that's some great stuff. I wouldn't complain too much. <laughs> well, I'm not complaining. I'm just I'm just I I'm always on a quest, and so yeah, yeah, of course. That's what I'm so I'm wondering with your ideas of this is you know like if we could tap into into that whatever that is be it the akashic records or whatever people want to call it and access where we come from or where we've been or even what we are how i and so that's the whole reason why i pulled in the remote viewing and the lucid dreaming because i i can't seem to access that and and so it's of course a quest in my life it's been a long quest i still am not any closer to understanding these things and so it keeps me i'm open to those people that do and it keeps me questing however i i just 
is it is the wipe is the memory wipe that severe and what what are your thoughts on this kind of thing oh yeah definitely definitely very severe that's the whole reason we're trapped in this world and that's the reason if there is reincarnation it's almost an insidious certainly the gnostic side is a negative thing because it's uh, it's a memory wipe every time we have a, an incarnation into this world. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not, it's, it's a daunting task and it's us against the universe. The, it's the, the values of the individual versus the supremacy of the state. And if we take that into the spiritual world, it's, uh, we, yeah, we have a, it's a long, long road. It's a long road. So it's, uh, but there are hints, there are, uh, there are flashes and I think that's why faith is so important. And I think faith gets a bad rap, but faith is simply uh, a trust in what's going to happen and a trust of my, my inner being to find its way in through the darkness and a trust in higher powers and the ability of kindred spirits to accompany me and a trust that everything's going to work out fine. If I just keep my eyes open and, uh, Yes, certainly with that trust, there is a, a patience because uh, I certainly want to know all the answers. Although I've come to a point in my life, I realize I am a human being that's both liberating and disconcerting because I realize my monkey brain is not, just doesn't have it. It's like I was talking about the frog outside. It's not going to understand the show Breaking Bad, but uh, there is, I have this trust, this faith that in whatever incarnation which i probably already am in it outside of time and space i have more answers to know and even in the gnostic gospels it's uh, you have these hierarchies of archons and aeons and each one of us each one of them gets understands more and sees more and what the other one sees is just unbelievable we couldn't even explain it to the lower aeons and so forth until we get to the primal font of everything and in some gnostics texts is simply silence and depth mother silence and father depth and that's it the ultimate oneness or nothingness the invisible spirit where everything is one and there is no more duality and consciousness is completely undivided so um what are your thoughts on like past lives then yeah, I'm pretty agnostic on that. Again, I, I don't have any, uh, I've never had any past life uh, memories. Again, when I go into a hypnagogic state, I, I'm always, I can, I am, I'm always somebody else and I'm reliving these situations. And these are that I've never experienced or seen in movies or anything like that. It's like I'm put into somebody else's body and the situation goes without my mind, like being able to control it. And it's so realistic, but the, when it happens, it's never in the past. It's always in the present. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming somebody else on this earth and experiencing what they are experiencing. Maybe it's astral travel. I don't know what it is, but it, it's so frustrating. I don't know if you guys have any tips and tricks because when I wake up in the morning, I have a dream journal. So I try to write my dreams and then meditate and look at the symbol and yada, yada, yada. But with the hypnagogic state, it sucks because I basically fall asleep. Like, how do you record this stuff? <laughs> yeah, I think the trick is not to fall asleep. Yeah, I'm, well, I, yeah, I know. It's As hard. a man, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. 
I've had this thing recently since my ordeal, if you will, where if I just close my eyes and clear my mind, I will start seeing things. And I don't know what those things are, but once I like think about it, it goes away. It's, it's kind of hard to describe. I had one yesterday where I closed my eyes and I saw two people dancing on a table. <laughs> but I only saw like from the knees down and the table up, you know, it was just like a snapshot there. I have no idea where they came from. It was nothing I was watching on TV or anything. And I wasn't asleep. So I, I'm, I'm not asking you what this is, but I'm, I've had those kind of things what you're talking about. Had I fallen asleep, I would have forgotten about it. But I have that kind yeah, of shit. That's I have it. that shit all the I time. I think that's it's what cool. Jung called it. Yeah, Jung would call it the active imagination is the exercise. You sit there calmly and whatever image or idea or person, you just focus on it. You try to let it take a life of, on it, of its own. So, but this, yeah, when I do it before I fall asleep, it, it's like I'm reliving it completely. I mean, it's so realistic and independent. But again, I always fall asleep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, <laughs> as far as the dream journal goes, I've usually, like nine times out of ten, I wake up because I have to pee. <laughs> Same here. And <laughs> Yes. Man. <laughs> I've, been, I've been trying to condition myself to remember my dreams right when I wake up. And sometimes I remember it, sometimes I don't. But, but yeah, it's it's tough. And I I do have a journal too, and I've been writing stuff down lately, so that's helping. I think that's the, the more you do it, the more you train yourself to do it, right. and you get better at it. I think with me, what I'm I might do next is uh, I try to maybe see if I can. I've got Siri. It's my alarm clock. I want to see Siri. Please record whatever shit I say maybe if i can get a voice recording as soon as i open my eyes I'll, maybe i'll get some more raw stuff i know what works well and this is traditional dream uh therapy is try to wake yourself up for like 10 minutes in other words go make sure you're awake and then fall asleep when you got what four hours before you get up and your dreams are like 100 times more intense and that works for me but then again i'm then it makes me tired yeah, no, I agree. That's that's true. And also to try and continue dreaming what you were dreaming before. I've been very successful with that. Like telling yourself, can I continue this dream or what do you yeah, mean? Yeah, like I want to go back to what I was dreaming uh, before. Yeah. I haven't tried that. It's sometimes they're related, sometimes they're not, but I, I've had a lot of success with it. So that's kind of fun. Oh, cool. More tools of the trade. Yeah, because again, I think... Uh, dreams are so important there's again it's a part of us it's a very valid important whole part of us that this world and most people ignore and integrating our dream selves to our real selves is uh, i think is part of finding our souls and our authentic selves yeah I, yeah i think it's more important than we know well it's essential yeah but i think you know science is obfuscating yeah the i don't want to say the spiritual side but the inner importance of it versus you know oh it's just organizing your short-term memory yeah that's part of it but there's more to it than that i think it's 
my personal feeling is that it's the gateway to the subconscious, to the collective bingo, consciousness. Bingo, bingo, that's it. Yeah, I've been talking about the unconscious, but yeah, there's that extra layer, which is the collective unconscious. If we think if our unconscious is some sort of divine self, the collective unconscious is supreme divinity, the answers, the being able to touch into the archetypal world and the world of our ancestors, the imaginal world. There's so much out there. So again, keep talking we deny our potential we have so much power from our mind to our unconscious to and the funny thing is that the spiritual world the collective unconscious is rooting for each one of us because uh if we all get saved then the universe gets saved and the universe gets restored so it's uh there's so many forces right now cheering for us and wanting to help us it's not even funny and it goes back to what I said, ask for help because it is there. You got to go through hell. I'm saying it's going to be hard work. Yeah. <laughs> you got to yeah. die to yourself, who you are. You've got to prepare to just die to yourself. So uh, Jasmine in chat wanted to know what your astrological sign was. I don't know. What's that? Like what? My, my Zodiac? Yeah. I have a really weird... And it was my manic depression, but I, I can't understand. I don't understand astrology, but I'm a Taurus. Happy belated birthday. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Very belated. April Taurus or May? April. Oh, so you're in the beginning. I'm April 26th. I'm two days before you. Oh, nice. Yeah, you're right there in that first second. I'm wondering, with all this stuff we're, we're speaking of, uh, this idea of teach and i'm one of these people that i have a deep uh, for me in my life teachers have played a big role and i i don't mean like the ones at university some of those were fantastic by the way but the ones that have come along in my life that were not necessarily you know teacher teachers uh the 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 more sacred ones for me and and strangely enough a lot of them have been sagittarians uh teachers versus where this paradigm is where this paradigm shift happens uh, where the teacher turns into the ruler, right? Where this is where the mother turns into the devourer and the mechanism of control. So, so with that idea, that's kind of the general idea. And then the question within that is, how does one navigate this territory of where do we cut the cord? And I'm, I'm really just asking for people in the for is a general question for those out outside of us is i have i definitely have my ideas about this but for those that may be listening where you see it where where one will fall out the participation mystique one will go off the cliff and they all go off the cliff cliff so how does one identify where you when you need to graduate and move on from a teacher, someone that was a powerful force in your life and, and, and then move forward. Uh, let's see. Remember the song by the police wrapped around your finger? Yes. Very well, very well. <laughs> That's it. That's my answer. Good That's call, my answer. Miguel. <laughs> no, no, no. I would say, I don't know if I even have an answer. I'm just trying to speculate here. 
there was a guest again, a youngin. I don't know why tonight it's young. I guess it's just his time it is to be young here. Tonight. Yeah, I guess it's a young <laughs> night. Forever young is his. Uh, his spirit decided to come in the seance, but uh, it wasn't you. There's a youngin. He told me the job of every parent is to break the souls of their children, and when he said that, it struck me as 100% true because I realized we are all programmed to strip individuality. We can say it's it's the deep state, it's this and that, but it really starts with the parents. And when he said that, my parenting style completely changed. And it's true. And so the question is, how can we be parents or teachers knowing that we are programmed to break the souls of others so that they don't find their sacred quest so i think that's that's where the game is won if you are a teacher but if you are a pupil i would say it's a simple again it's a it's a matter of perspective and um how you see things i would say uh would it uh a wall nation say kill your heroes and what's the saying if you see the buddha on the road road kill him instead in other words i don't think anybody's out there to save you and i think once you have that attitude you can really start learning from people and it really and once you don't have heroes you realize that we are all points and light passing by each other trying to shine and give each other energy and that our duty is to inspire as teachers and even to inspire as pupils. So once we take that attitude, uh, I don't think it matters when it's time to leave because sometimes you are called to inspire others and that means it's time to go your way. I know that in ancient times, the Gnostics were split into lodges and sects and you'd have a hierophant and again, I, I talk about this very personal Egyptian religiosity. It probably came to the point where the Hierophant's duty was to take his pupils into this astral journey down into the underworld, up into the in, beyond the portal of the stars, and in these ecstatic shamanistic journeys. But I'm assuming because they kept splitting up and the, and the Gnostics were very anarchists, it just became as soon as a pupil was ready and he wanted to inspire others, he grabbed his, uh, his text, he had shared his story with the other, he was healed and he went out uh, to start his own lodge. I mean, that's kind of what happens to an Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Uh, people move around, you just start your own AA chapter, you don't like an AA chapter, you move around you start your own A chapter and everything works well. Nobody hates each other. And it's all these points of light trying to help different alcoholics and drug addicts. Anarchy. Yes. You know, I, I've, I've never, I've never been, I don't drink much. So uh, it's very socially. And especially now that it's not something we're doing right now. I haven't, I don't, I just don't drink. Uh, but everything I hear from, AA, you know, these little, they, they have really worked their way into being cliches at, at some point, are so powerful. I'm, I'm constantly moved by some of it. It's a cult. It is, but at the same time, the, as with all good cults, there's, there, there's, a, there's a cornerstone in there. There's a gem, right? And so, and, and sometimes many faceted. And I, I just admire 
some of those sayings. You've brought forth a few. I'm wondering. Yeah, sometimes you need a good cliche to save you when you're down. When John Lennon said, "Whatever gets you through <laughs> yeah. the night." Whatever gets you through exactly. Yeah, sometimes that's all you have. Your your sanity <laughs> is falling apart. Your life is going to shit, and you need to grab onto that nice little cliche or or uh, you know spiritual magnet that's on <laughs> yes. that's on your fridge. Just, you got to do it. Sometimes you, and it's almost like you're starting from the beginning. So. I remember I was in such a terrible situation once many, well, I've been in many, but I had, uh, it was just terrible and it, it, dire straits. And a friend of colleague of mine said the simplest, stupidest thing to me at the time. And I've, I've still kept it. And it's totally a cliche. He said, well, you just have to write it out. And at, in the moment, <laughs> I was like, fuck you. <laughs> you know, like, that's, right. that's wise advice. And that's definitely supported by Yeah. Shite. Yeah. That what did Winston Churchill say? Something like, when you're in hell, keep going. Mm -hmm. Simple things. like, And it, and sometimes it's uh, when it's time. I mean, I think I see somebody's writing when the pupil is ready, the master appears. Sometimes when you're ready, you need that cliche at a certain time. And I think also the concept that is very overlooked is very important is the concept of the egregore and that's or mm. you know a tulpa is an egregore but a, an egregore is a psychic being or energy that a group will create to protect the interests of the group and the safety of the group mm. happen in churches it can happen dark egregores with the nazi party but i think aa is being very i mean why is it such an anarchist situation and why does it work with its silly i mean i'm the first one to criticize the book is from 1930 it's full of cliches <laughs> uh, all that but and then i realize it does create an egregore what does jesus say when three are in my name i am there jesus is an mm. egregore mm -hmm. you create this psychic collective force that can be very protective and very nurturing and for people who are recovering who are trying not to drink or whatever it's it's a lifesaver and even further and then i can go again we're going back to jung but what most people don't know is the foundation the spiritual foundation of a is really jung is behind it and bill w the founder admits it so uh but again, I think we need to, uh, we forget even in the occult how important the egregores are. But once you start studying egregores, you can really see how they shift and how they look good. I mean, like most people are looking at uh, BLM and they're going, well, this is this, it's political, it's social. I'm looking at it as more from an egregore stance and seeing, mm -hmm. trying to see how the egregore is going to move through this organization. Is it helping this people? Is it? Is it going to destroy? What's what's it? Gonna, I, I'm looking at it more from an occult uh, stand, and it, it's definitely very helpful to see the big picture of things. Yeah, you were just reminding me of my question. I wanted to ask. Speaking of the occult, do you do any? Do you have any magical practices or any particular tradition that you use? If so, um, as again, as a rapid cycler, manic depressive depressive person one trick that i've learned again the master the mind is a great servant but a terrible master is i realized that and that include meds would work for me didn't work i would take a med and then after about six months it would stop working i'd be like shut i gotta start over with this doctor and then change the med it was horrible 
So I'm all, and also I also know we live in the world of the Archons, the illusion of the Demiurge. So I know that everything, one of the greatest tricks is that they're going to, they're going to switch things around or make sure that what worked once is going to stop working. So I always try to stay one step ahead of the Archons and the world and my own uh, alleged or quote unquote mental disease by always shifting and shifting things. But uh, as far as the occult, again, these days it's, uh, Medit let's see what do i do these days meditation uh i do uh, the I Ching. i do like a little sigil magic when i need it mm -hmm. um dream journaling and hypnagogic states and uh, there's a couple of others that i do whenever i can go i really miss going to church i uh, i love any sort of uh religious service because uh, I can make my own myth. I like the Gnostics. I interpret Catholic service or going to synagogue. I, I, I reinterpret it. What did Campbell say? Religion is just reenacting the myth. Yes. So I like to get into the myth and twist it around to give it a Gnostic or a personal slant. And again, and I love the egregores. I like when people are there and there's hymns and there's candles. I mean, you can feel yes. that energy oh, yes. flowing. And if you can grab onto that energy, you will have an amazing awakening and comforting experiences. So, uh, an so that's what I do today. Oh. But yes, but ask me, ask me in a month and I will change things around because I know, I know how this world is and I know how my mind is. So you could say Yahweh is an egregore. Yes, you could say that too. Mm -hmm. But again, and, and again, it's subtle because sometimes uh, I even talk to Mark Stavish, who wrote this incredible book, Egregores. <laughs> we yes. just talked about it. And, book. Yeah, and, and I was talking about, well, what about the idea of uh, Neil Gaiman's American Gods? You have this mm -hmm. spirit That's or this mind thought, and all of a sudden, if, if, that, if that mind thought or that crack in reality gets enough attention, it gets personified and it becomes very real and it becomes immortal too. As long, even after it stops being worship, it'll still linger as this little egregore or thought form or lost spirit or, you know, a hungry ghost. So then there's that other dimension too, is how much power do we give these egregores? When do they become independent? Perhaps they existed even before humanity is just sort of a kilopoth, wasted shards of reality that are looking for some, some sort of uh, uh, attention and hunger. And, you know, what we give attention to, we give our souls to, we give our energy to, and we give our spirits to. And can become very powerful. And we see that with great movements in history. So I would uh, give, uh, give your energy to your authentic self. I think that's the focus, to your higher self. Uh, not so much to all these uh, governments and religions and causes out there right now. They're false gods. Yeah, but they're going to be very powerful gods, too. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> oh, did, they're did, well fed. <laughs> crush us. They'll did crush you us. see the American Gods TV show? Oh, it was dreadful. Ugh. It's like it was one of the best casts. It's like how I imagined in my head each character would look. And they got it, but my God, it was terrible. Ugh. Unlike terrible. Westworld, which is amazing. <laughs> to each his own, man. The last I think season Westworld was okay. is amazing. Absolutely. And that's a great Gnostic tech, a gospel right there. Yeah, very Westworld. Much so. Oh yeah, from the yeah, it is completely Gnostic. 
Yeah. Uh, well, that's all I see in it. And that's why I find it just so utterly amazing. I think it's one of the best things I've seen come forth as far as if you're looking with that, those eyes. Oh, I agree. Definitely season one, season two, episode eight with uh, La Coya. Yes. That was incredible. <laughs> one of my favorite all time TV episodes. Oh my God. It was transformative. I have not seen season three though. So I, I can say that. Yeah. Was there's that, a big drop off. But Was that episode eight, the one where they went through the, to the new land or was that the last episode? No, that's, it's the one where the native American, the La Coya, he awakens mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he understands that there's many worlds. I mean, it's just so symbolic, symbolically beautiful. And his story that. is just so inspirational and beautiful. It's glorious. Absolutely. I have one more thing I wanted to touch on before we wind down. And this is something very sacred to me. I wasn't raised with any religion. And so like you, I can, uh, although you were, but I, I can really pull up to anything and throw my own eyes on it and get something from it. Uh, and one of the things that just gives me so much beauty and uh, ex expression through that uh, internal, external uh, pendulum this 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 churning is mary magdalene the marys all of the marys the idea of the mary and and the great mother as she's found herself in that guise and then having read the gospel of mary magdalene uh i i just you know uh, my house is filled with them of all of them mary of sorrows and one and i heard you speak about the gospel of mary of course and I'm wondering, could you just touch on that a little bit? I know our time's wrapping, but I wanted to get, I wanted to bring her into this. And I know it's left base, left field. And it's her feast day today. Yes. So the timing is perfect. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, and a very quick uh, overview, the Gnostics saw Mary Magdalene both as the incarnation of Sophia the Aeon. And as the main apostle, if not spiritual concert of Jesus. And we can see by the gospel of Mary, if you named a gospel in those days after somebody, that person was not only important, but there was probably a whole community around that individual. So Mary is very, very important in the, in the Gnostic uh, dispensation. In the gospel of Mary, uh, we have part of it that's missing but you basically have mary who in many of the gospels is always the favorite of jesus and she is explaining some of the visions of uh, jesus this is after he is captured and killed uh, and these visions that uh, mary explains is sort of these uh, again astral flights through the heavens where you have to basically encounter these archons who uh well they're sort of named oddly named after things like wrath and envy you know uh, aspects or defects of the personality but you take these flights again as above so below as inside as outside and how you can get into the transcendent uh, realms and uh, there's a lot, even though we are missing part of the Gospel of Mary, I have a good translation in my website, thegodaboveGod.com, if somebody wants to take a look at it. 
but and it's actually a reconstruction that uh, scholar Robert Price did. He reconstructed the missing parts, so it gives you the entire map of uh, the astral worlds and so forth. But there's a lot of good quotes. I think one of my favorites is, uh, "What is it's Jesus or Mary saying? Uh, there is no sin, only what you have made it in your mind." And then Mary says something like. Where the mind is, there is treasure. And this goes back to the Hermes and the mind and the trickster and how they saw, obviously, that they were talking about the concept, the, the concept of the noose, which is sort of the, the top part of our mind, which leads into the, the greater worlds and all the answers, which was a very important concept back then. But important about this gospel, too, is that it, it really encapsulates the tension between orthodoxy and Gnosticism, because in this one, there is a fight where uh, Peter, as and this happens not just in the Gospel of Mary, also happens in the Gospel of Thomas and another one, Peter gets jealous and starts basically trying to bully Mary and another apostle, I forget which apostle, um, has to come and get in between them. And they sort of argue. And Mary is very despondent because Jesus has just given them the secrets to uh, astral travel and salvation and enlightenment. And Peter's more concerned that he doesn't have a better, he's not higher up in the pecking order. And he makes these sort of slurs because she is a woman and all that. And sort of a, a microcosm of what would happen with the early church and the split and the eventual, of course, uh, eradication of the Gnostics. So uh, yeah, good gospel. And um, Mary appears in a lot of other Gnostic gospels, Pista Sophia, Dialogue of the Savior, Gospel of Philip. And again, she has a, uh, she's always a very enlightened. She's always usually the one that gets gnosis. I think Jesus in Dialogue of the Savior says she calls Mary the woman who understood the all. She's the one who understands the mysteries of the cosmos. And again, she has a very prominent role in all of these Gnostic Gospels. As uh, And again, she's an avatar of the higher divine feminine, if you would. Like the veiled Isis. Yeah. Do, oh, you, yeah. do you think there's any significance to the statue beheading of Mary and Jesus that happened recently? Uh, I haven't heard anything, but... Uh, I didn't know the, the was it a statue of Mary too who got beheaded? I'm pretty sure. I'd hmm. have to verify. It, it was I actually wasn't aware of this, Jer. It was defaced, I thought. Well, that's not very me too. What's going on here? No, I know. <laughs> yeah, it was in Chattanooga last week. Oh my. It's funny. I have, as I said, I have Mary's everywhere here. I have one that's facing you know i have a segment here and i have boss and all this other stuff too but out i have a five foot concrete mary and at some point somebody shot at it i'm not even in a town like that and somebody shot at it. i thought how rude uh, <laughs> like really seriously how and i'm the scary witch in town so it's just <laughs> interesting that of all you know of all houses some of these people that are terrified of me that they would shoot up my mary yeah. so all right i got well, one more question from the audience and then we can let you go um, yeah i need a cigarette yeah sorry <laughs> last last question and we'll be done um can you give an example of one of your favorite pieces of timeless advice which might might help 
someone looking to find gnosis or self-knowledge timeless advice god and again that changes i mean um I would say have an experience. Uh, again, I, I mentioned uh, ecstasy and entertainment. You got to find what brings you ecstasy and you got to embrace it and make it the most important thing in your world. Because as Mary Magdalene says, where the mind is, there is treasure. And that's your, that's your higher mind. And I was looking sort of at the dictionary because sometimes I tell people, you got to have an experience. You got to have an experience. Uh, but sometimes we forget what's the meaning of a word. So I simply looked at the meaning of experience in the dictionary and its uh, definitions, a particular instance of personally encountering or undergoing something. Now that seems pretty mundane, but then it hit me, what's the key word there? Personally, because at the end of the day, or at the beginning of the day, unfortunately, after my dream world vanishes, I'm basically a programmed uh, host from Westworld. We all are. What am I going to look at the news? What am I going to wear today? Oh, my God, I'm worried about the bills. Oh, my God, I got to drive the car. And you realize this is all just robotic bullshit. This is not me. This is not personal. So an experience when you can have something that's authentic, that is personal, that is you, you're going to find yourself easily getting away from this false reality into some better uh, dimensions. So. I would tell individuals have an experience, but also you got to find out uh, who your authentic self is. And that requires uh, the journey inward. Great. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you have anything you'd like to plug your show or upcoming works or anything? Uh, yeah, I'd say just go to my website, thegodabovegod.com, or uh, type in AM by Gnostic Radio, Radio as I call it. And <laughs> if you go to my page, there's all my social media channels, YouTube, books, articles, a mailing list, uh, how to contact me. Just go there and look around, and if you need anything, let me know. And I've put all those links in the show description and the show notes, so you can find them there. Thank you, Miguel. This was a great honor and a fantastic interaction. Yes, thank Very you so much. Very much appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I guess we create, let's see if we create the, the Jung egregore between the three of us. <laughs> yes. yes. Protect us from evil. <laughs> we need Laura London. <laughs> oh, yeah. Love Laura. We she's, do too. She's looking she's forward awesome. to listening to this if she's not already. So, hey, Laura, how you doing? Yeah. Anyway, we thank you, you so much, Miguel. It was a pleasure having you on the show. And thank you, everyone who's listening. And next week, we'll be back to Anox Mente with uh, special guest Freeman Fly from the Free Zone podcast. Ooh. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. So, anyway, everyone, you have a great night. We'll talk to you later and be well. I'll be into everyone. <laughs>